Welcome to Pursue Ministries. You're listening to Men's Fraternity, Session 13, Man and His Wife, Part 2. The speaker is Bill Howard. One of the reasons why this is such an important deal and why we even start out on after the masculine journey is because if you remember, when God created man, let us make man, so let us, God said, plural, God singular, let us, plural, make man, singular, in our, plural, image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created him. Okay, so did you get the, the wording there and the plurality and the singular? It, it's, it's all mixed up. And so what God is, is one God and three persons. But if man is in the image of God, you are not fully reflective of who he is without the context of a woman. Now, guys, it doesn't make you less than a man being single. Paul writes, it's better for me if I'm going to serve the Lord to be single than to be married. Because if you're married... You got these obligations and responsibilities born upon you to care for a woman and children. And so there's nothing wrong with not being married. I want you to understand that. I do want you to know that marriage, the union of marriage, is the best reflection of the image of God. So when you get married, and I always tell people, your marriage is bigger than anything you've ever thought. The moment you enter into it, you're reflecting something more than you, which is this God that's invisible. And so in, in essence, as the moon does not have light that's intrinsic to itself, it's just simply reflecting a sun that can no longer be seen. So is your marriage when you enter into it and the two become one, okay? So that's why this is so big. Paul writes that it's a mystery. And the Bible starts with the marriage and the Bible ends with the marriage. The Bible starts with the marriage on the human realm between a man and a woman who's a reflector of God. And then the Bible ends with a marriage between Jesus Christ and us. Christ is called the groom. And everybody who said I do to what he did for them on the cross is called his bride. And the return of Christ is called the marriage. And the Bible uses that language. Isn't that amazing? So marriage is really huge to God. And so if you're in it, that's why we're negotiating through this with a wife because it is really an important deal. Okay? So with that sort of big picture, let's jump back in here to the practical part of how a man then speaks woman. Let's talk about her four needs a wife needs companionship. You know, the number one complaint of a woman is that her husband will not listen to her. And I don't know about you, but the hardest thing in my life is to listen to Terry. Now, I love Terry, but it's real easy to become comfortable and sort of move on to other things. And, you know, when you're dating, she, her words are so priority, right? They're so interesting to you. Because really what you're fishing for early on in a relationship is, does she like me? <laughs> I remember when I would get a letter from her, I was, you know, even the way she would sign it was important to me. You know, if she said, hey, uh, Bill, I'm out here and here's what's going on and hope to see you soon, Terry didn't feel very good but if she'd say hey Bill I'm out here and this is what's going on I miss you so bad can't wait to see you again love you desperately right you're just absorbing everything but then when you get married I'm kind of off and you're to the next thing and I love you you know you know you love you I love you too you know I love you too honey right and so when she wants to tell me things and here's what I'm learning. I haven't learned it. I'm learning it. That she wants to talk to me just about life. You know, we got four boys and lots of life going on, lots of decisions to be made daily. And so a lot of it is just information. 
And what I have to realize is that for her, uh, if I am the head of my wife, which means I'm the leader, imagine guys being in a company and your employer never listens to you and you're trying to get things done and you're trying to maybe sell a product for a company or whatever and the person who's running the company is so distracted with his own stuff, he never listens to you. How would you feel? It would be very frustrating. And so what happens then when women aren't listened to by their husbands, you know what they do? They nag. Somebody once said being nagged by a wife is like being nibbled to death by a duck. <laughs> and so she just kind of chips at you constantly. But the reason why is because she's looking for the same thing you're looking for. Affirmation, feedback, information, direction, encouragement, praise, honor. Do you like me? Am I doing okay? Is everything okay? And if we're not giving it, she is wanting to hear it. She just needs information. Does that make sense? So men nag too, by the way. We just do it in the marketplace with each other. Yeah, you know, this guy's this, and this guy's that, and yeah, 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 right? We just don't do it at home with her, but you, you with me? And so the thing is, is what a, a wife wants more than anything is companionship, friendship, relationship. Mike Mason in his book, The Mystery of Marriage, said what God does in marriage is he takes a very tender part of a man's side and he fashions a woman. And then in marriage, what he does is he takes that very tender part of a man's side and he begins to put her back by him. And it's very personal. And she is very interested in you and what's going on with you and what's going on with us. And she's a side helper. Are you with me? Very close, very close to the heart. The rib is the thing that's protecting the heart. And so that's why God, if you remember, didn't take a part of the man so he would be over her from his feet or a part of the man from his head so that she'd be over him. But she, um, he took a part of his side so she would be beside him. And so women are wired by God for communication. Uh, Harvard experts say that the average man speaks 10,000 words a day. The average woman speaks 25,000 words a day. And that's why oftentimes, guys, at the end of the day, if your wife says, hey, honey, how, how was your day? How are things going? What do you usually say? That's 10,000 word right there. She's got 15,000 more to go. Or if she is staying at home with the kids, she's not having much communication and dialogue. So most of her wording is, pick that up, don't do that, come sit here, eat that food. So she's just wanting some real information if you got a young family. So the whole communication thing is really difficult. So there's one phrase that I'm learning to share with my wife because when a woman feels listened to uh, because a woman has an emotional gas tank you think of, think of her as a vehicle and she's running on empty and, the, and you're going how can I fill her up well one of the ways that you can fill her up is just pull up to the, to the chair sit down and give her a good listening to. And when you listen to her, and here's the phrase I'm learning to say, honey, tell me more about it. And I guarantee you, you're gonna hear more about it. <laughs> and it may be 30 minutes of hearing more about it, and it's just hearing. <coughs> and what women don't want you to do is pull out your Mr. Fix-It tool belt along the way and listening and determining how you're gonna fix the things she's talking about. Because all she really wants 
is for you to hear more about it. And so that she has incorporated. And at that point, all I can tell you guys is that you'll see your wife's emotional tank starting to fill up when she just when you listen to her. And I truly believe if if you're like me at all, I just know in my life, it's the number one most difficult thing in my life that I know I need to do. It's just hard to do. Because you know when you get home and you, you're there and you know, you gotta turn the TV off or you've gotta stop looking at the emails or get off the internet or whatever you've got going on when she starts talking. And look at her and give her focused attention. Right? Because as, as you remember, if you don't, then you're telling her, you're not very important to me. You're not significant to me. You're not interesting to me. I'm not really wanting to know what you have to say. Now, uh, and it really is, guys, a reflection of what it is that we choose to value and who we give preference to. If you think about it, in your work, if somebody walked in who you gave preference to, who you valued, who you admired, and they walked into your work, what would you do? Pay attention. Because you're now choosing to pay attention. So we can do it. But with our wives, it's the one way, guys, that you tell your wife, you are the most important person to me. You are of great value to me. And I'm just learning that, uh, you know, men, we choose to serve that which we value, don't we? And did you know the, the fondest memory, you know what the fondest memory of a man is? It's his first car. Honeymoon was number two. My first car was a 1970 Ford Fairlane 500. I paid $700, I bought it from my dad. Had a 302 V8. And it was a family car. It was a four-door. It was a piece of junk. <laughs> but it took me all the way through college. And by the time I got it out of college, my friends called it Shermie the Tank. They had a dent in every corner. And the crazy thing is, is that although the car had not much value, I kept it immaculate. I cleaned it every week, even though it was dented. I, it was amazing. And because it was my car. And so I cared for that car, not because the car had great value, but you would have thought it was a Mercedes Benz the way it took care of it. Which teaches me that you can choose to value something even though even the thing itself has not much value. Well, then the question is, guys, how much value is your wife to you? And then I, I recall when I was dating Terry, she lived in Birmingham, I was in Little Rock, and there was, I think it was Highway 5s down in Mississippi, and they were still creating the interstate down there. So to get to Birmingham, you know, the quicker way was to go on this back highway, it was a two-lane road, country road, for about 50 miles. And it was, what was interesting is about every other house that I would see had a car parked out in front. And it either was on a brick or it had weeds growing up through it or whatever, but it was just sitting there. I mean, it was amazing. And I remember thinking to myself, what the heck is this? And then it dawned on me after reading this information, I bet you that those cars were that guy's first car. And he couldn't part with it. He couldn't bear to leave it because it had so much memory to him. It was his first car. So he just sat it out there and thought, you know, one day I will attend to that car. I will restore that car. I'll fix that car up. And it'll be like it used to be. And again, it's a picture to me of marriages where oftentimes a guy uh, gets married, much like his car. It was a great ride. But... You know, the car breaks down, and so does your wife. You know, and she may have had an hourglass figure, but the sands of time are starting to shift.
And you're like, whoa. And things change. And so just like a guy, just like a guy with a car, it's very easy to forget our wives and move on to the next thing, right? All I can tell you guys is the one way that you can stay connected to your wife and show her preference and give her value is by listening to her. I'm just telling you, it's the hardest thing in my life. But it is the most important, okay? And that's the way you maintain a companionship with your wife. And so we can't stop dating her. And, uh, and I will tell you this too, guys, in the companionship area, when you said to your wife, I do, and then she said, I do to you, she didn't say I do to cars, to houses, to even kids. She said, I do to you. And so that's why she really does want to know you. <coughs> and she wants to know about you. She wants to be involved with you. I remember one guy had been married 20 years and very successful, did very well, had three kids, bought his wife pretty much anything she wanted. And after 20 years, she, was, she left him, literally left him. She came home and he came home and she was gone. He was just dumbfounded. And I'll never forget, he said, I don't know what happened. I gave her everything she wanted. And I looked at him and I said, my guess is knowing this guy? I said, no, you didn't. You didn't give her the one thing she said I do to, which was you. When you marry her, you went off to the next thing. You started working, 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 and God just did your deal. And, and here's the thing. I'll guarantee you, it, he didn't mean it intentionally. He was just ignorant. He did not know what she said yes to. And so I just told him, the only thing he didn't give her was you. And she got so lonely. Even though she had everything, she didn't have the one thing that she said yes to. Make sense? So, first thing a wife needs, guys, is companionship. Second thing your wife needs is security. A woman wants a man to protect her. I'm going to be very basic. She wants protection financially. All I can tell you is it's a big deal. The provisionary part of a man's life starts at the beginning. When Eve was not present, God gave Adam an assignment in the garden. And it's a whisper that basically God said, I'm going to give you a job to do before I give you the woman. And the way he's cursed after he disobeys God is in his marriage and in his work. And if you remember, the two relationships most important to a man is what? His wife and his work. And here's the deal. He's cursed in both of them. And not, neither one of them are perfect. We have problems in both of them. And so, but the work part has to do, not for the guy, but for all those under his leadership. He's a provider. He's provisionary. And that's how a man creates security. And it's a good thing. I always tell women, you need to understand that if your husband's working and he shoots a three-pointer, you need to celebrate because he's not doing it just for himself. He is doing it for you and the family if he's a good man. And so that's a part of it. But I believe some of the degree of what we ought to move toward is to help our wife have the freedom and flexibility to be a wife, to be a mom, to get involved with women, to help invest in other women, to help take care of the kids, uh, parents, your parents, her parents, however that works. And I remember uh, a guy named Willard, he said that women resent work if their income has to pay for the basic living expenses. In other words, if she's thinking, if I don't work, we're not going to have food on the table. I'm just telling you that she's resenting you. 
And you remember the one thing a man needs from a wife is what, guys? Respect. Now, y'all did make vows for better or richer or sickness and in. We always focus on the better part of that, right? And so it's not that your wife, especially if she's in love with another man besides you, who's Jesus Christ, she'll manage that if she understands that you're having a comma, a, a parenthesis, a, 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 you've lost your job or whatever. But if it's your habit, if it's the way you are to not think about being provisionary, I'm just telling you, it, she'll start losing respect for you. So it's, a, it's an important thing for a man. And what I was going to tell you is, is that the provisionary aspect of Genesis that God called the man to do goes all the way through to the New Testament. So much so that in the New Testament, here's what Paul says in 1 Timothy 5.8. He said, for, for he who does not provide for his own household is worse than an unbeliever. So I always say that there's smoke coming from the barrel of that one, right? So it's that part of us that's very important to, to work. And so if you're doing that, guys, you're, I'm just telling your wife, hopefully is admiring you. She may not understand that as much as she gets, as much as you get used to her, she may get used to you in that. But nonetheless, if you're doing it, good job. Remember the, third, the fourth part of the masculine definition? What's that? Reject passivity, accept responsibility, lead courageously, and expect God's reward. And so you don't need her to tell you. You know it's the right thing to do. Okay? I'm just telling if you're doing it, it's creating security for your wife, and she may be enjoying that. Thirdly, a wife needs significance. She needs significance because, if you remember, in the created order... Man was created first, then the woman, and she has a natural inclination to not complete her man, but to compete with her man. And that's why the whole feminist movement is really a movement where women feel a sense of not being as significant. And so what, I, what, what can undermine a marriage is that movement. And so one of the reasons why women feel it is because men make them feel it. And so if she's married to you, then what we want to do, guys, is let our wives know that she's incredibly significant. Now think about it. If she's at home and she is raising the kids, she's not getting any plaques. She's not getting any bonuses. She's not getting any accolades. She's not getting any affirmation and attention for what she's done. Unless you give it to her. You're it. Does that make sense? You're it. And so by doing that and letting her know that, uh, that ultimately, if, if she's with the kids all day and doing her deal, all that's left in her life with regard to who's going to give her any sense of value is you. So, uh, it, it, by the way, James Dobson talks about 90% of self-concept is built on what we think others think about us. And all I can tell you is if you're married, much of what your wife thinks about herself is what you think about her. And so if, if your wife is struggling with self-concept, self-esteem, the first place you got to look, if, she's, if you're going, I wish my wife, well, listen, you're the guy. What are you telling her about herself? You're the leader. Interestingly, too, for those of you that work, management was asked the question, what do you think your employees need most? What do you think the people that you're managing need and want most from you and the company? Money. Okay, they asked the employees what they wanted most and needed from the company. What do you think they said? It wasn't money. You know what it was? Recognition. 
You're the man. Good job. Way to go. I see you. I'm watching you. Awesome. That's why uh, there was a book out a number of years ago called The One Minute Manager. And the One Minute Manager concept is based on the idea of managing with affirmation. So that, because uh, what, what people really want to know is, am I doing okay? Are you watching me? And, you know, people, are, we're all like little kids. If, if, remember, if you've got kids in your house and, and you're a father, the moment you walk in, your kids are like these little birds. And if you're a manager, the moment you walk in the office, your employees are like, they want you to tell them that they're doing a good job. So the one-minute manager concept is, is you, you tell them, man, that was awesome. Great job. Uh, we've tried to parent a little bit like that, if possible. Uh, for example, I remember sitting around the, the table and there was a bunch of food on the table and the boys, you know, four boys, like, Vroom! just gone. And I remember uh, one of the boys came a little bit late and there wasn't much left and the other boys had their plates full and this one had just a little bit. And, and uh, it was actually Micah had the bigger plate and Brooks had a littler plate, and Brooks is kind of going, you know, I'm starving. And, and Micah's looking, and we're all kind of thinking, who's going to give their food? And Micah all of a sudden goes, here, Brooks. And he started putting some food off of his plate onto Brooks's plate. Well, what do you do? And we said, it's Micah. It's amazing. You're a man. That's a man point. Thinking of others is more important than yourself. And making sure that those around you are taken care of. So what's Micah doing? Mike's going, I am the man. <laughs> right? And that's what they want. So think about that. and Because uh, it's really what your wife wants. Recognition. And from you. And that's why the main core response to the role of a wife is praise and honor. Praise and honor. Praise and honor. Because she's going to naturally feel uh, not that. She's just naturally not going to do that. That's why the command is to praise and honor and to love her. Then fourthly here, guys, a wife needs emotional responsiveness. Emotional responsiveness. I remember the first time I heard that. I'm supposed to be emotionally responsive to my wife. Wow, I do not know how to do that. How do you be emotionally responsive? You know, sympathy is the word that means sharing the same feeling. But here's the deal. Uh, a man really will never share the same feeling as a wife. So it's really hard to ultimately sympathize with your wife to share the same feeling because you're, you're not a woman. That's why women get together if you watch them. They start talking and they're, they're sympathizing. And they start talking about their parenting or being married or life or money or decisions or whatever's going on in their lives. Kids. And they're sympathizing. They're sharing the same feeling and they just connect. But for a man, again, it goes back to this listening deal. Because really what she wants is for you to, quote, feel her pain. She wants you to, if you can imagine, let's say you guys get together at, the, at whatever part of the day you get together. And in her world, let's say she's been standing in a mud puddle or sitting or has fallen in a mud puddle and she's sitting in the mud puddle all day long. And you're, you haven't been. But she wants you, when, when you move toward her and you're standing there, maybe you got your nice tie and you got your clean clothes on. But emotionally, she wants you to jump in to the mud puddle with her. She wants you to get mud on you. She wants you to sit down with, she wants you to sit down with her in the mud puddle. And the way to do it is to just to listen. Because when you do listen, that's kind of what we're doing. We're emotionally connecting. In her world, you're emotionally connecting with her. By the way, 93% of all communication is non-verbal. Which is when she's talking, when you're with her, you know, what's your eye line, what's your eyes looking at? 
you know, if, if, like last night, I was sitting there and Terry was talking to me, and I'm a kid, she talked to me for a minute. I didn't hear one word she said. I was texting and I was on the internet at the same time. And she was talking, and all of a sudden I heard this, did you hear me? Did you hear me? And all of a sudden I looked up and I went, are you talking to me? And I tell you, she looked at me, she goes, because oh. I didn't hear a word she said. My, my kids laugh at me because I'll be doing something. They'll start talking to me. I'm not, I literally do not even hear words. I'm just so focused. And they'll start laughing. Then I'll hear them laughing. I go, and they're looking at me. They're going, see, he didn't hear a thing I said. I didn't hear a thing I said. I just know that's what I'm telling you. I'm learning. Okay. So let's talk about a man's design in marriage. Point A, natural leader types in marriage tend to be too assertive. So what we're going to look here now is one marriage design. The first marriage design here is you see the two circles and they're overlapping. And right there where they overlap, we're going to call that oneness. And it's that sort of mysterious part of marriage where it's the cool part. You know, it's the part where you just connect. And it's, it feels natural. So when the Bible exhorts a man to love, lovingly lead a wife, to be a servant leader, if you're a natural leader husband, you get it. And if your wife is more compliant in here, and she hears the word submission and uh, yielding and coming alongside and not completing but competing, and she's a, she feels it and it seems natural to her, okay? Now, if that's your marriage, I'm just telling you, you're probably feeling a more natural oneness, okay? So we'll get to the other one here. And it's a, it's a unique thing. Now, listen, all marriages aren't this way, which doesn't mean you have a bad marriage. It just means that it's easier. This is an easier kind of deal, but... Uh, natural leader type men tend to be too assertive so the danger for a natural leader type guy who's got a compliant wife is here's and you can write out to the right side of assertive he needs to add love because his tendency is to dominate his tendency is going to be and even in Colossians 3.18 the Bible said, husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Now think about this. In the Bible, when there's a command, it means telling you something to do that's not natural to do. That's why they're commands. So husband, love your wives. And conjunction, the reason why is the unnatural part is to love. That's why it's a command so that God can love through you. And the conjunction draws what is unnatural command, love, to don't be embittered, which is the natural. So see, the natural thing in a marriage is for men to be embittered with their wives, frustrated. And so that's why the Bible gives the command. Now, the reason why a man can naturally be embittered with his wife is because if you are a strong leader type man uh, and you, you tend to demand more and more and you tend to look at life through performance. Did you get the house clean? She got food ready? Is she doing this? Is she doing that? Because in your world, that's how you live. Performance. Do, 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 do. And is she doing that? And if she's not doing that, ah, she makes me mad and you get embittered. Okay? And I think that's that command really hits this sort of type of marriage. So this man, by the way, can easily forget his design flaws. But he can easily recall his wife's and his children. <laughs> I was just in Yosemite over the weekend and speaking on marriage. Inevitably, you'll always get men will come up, and uh, especially on Friday. And you might hear a phrase, man, if my... If, we're really, we're here, we're struggling. And my wife, if she, I'm just telling you, that's, that's this guy. If she would just 
because these guys tend to focus on not their flaws, but on the flaws of their wife. And so in, in their world, they'd be happy if their wife was better and would change and be more like them. If Christ is not the center of this marriage, here's what can happen. Uh, a compliant wife can tend to be an enabler. And a natural leader husband can tend to be a tyrant. So if Christ is not at the center, that's where this marriage goes, which is very can be very unhealthy. And so that's why we need to be reined in with Christ so that we don't become a tyrant. And again, if your wife is having trouble with self-esteem and you're a strong leader type, what tends to happen in these marriages is these women tend to become very insecure. If their husbands, if their natural leader husbands, and they're so performance driven, their wife will never feel just like you as a son. You'll never feel affirmed. You'll never feel like you're important or valued, and that's what she'll feel like. Okay, point B. Non-leader types in marriage tend to be too passive. So in this marriage situation, you've got more of a natural leader wife and a more compliant husband. And so maybe you're married here. So a lot of times, and again this weekend when I told the men, I said, the Bible calls a man, if Christ is the head of the husband, the husband's the head of the wife. It's an authoritative structure, God designed. And so when it says the husband's the head of the wife, God's in charge of you. Christ is in charge of you. He loves you. He's forgiven you. And he wants you to get up and get going. So husbands, and this is not a true of a command to a wife, but it is to husbands. Husbands, love your wives just like what? Christ loves you. That's the model. That's the model. So if Christ is the head of you, and you're the head of her, then remember the best leader in life is a great follower. Because Jesus said, I didn't come to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And that's a good husband. So a good husband, so all you got to do, guys, is just be a good follower. Jesus is the model. But when you talk to men about leadership, they'll go, hey, listen, I may be the head of my wife, but she's definitely the neck that's turning my head. You do not know what I'm married to. Okay? So I know oftentimes you talk about this and, and these more passive men will listen to stuff and it scares the stuff out of them because they're going, there ain't no way. Uh, this weekend, again, I was talking to a guy who lives in Elko, Nevada. He lives in a town of about 100 people. And there are two churches. There's a Baptist church and a Methodist church that has a woman pastor. Well, his wife wants to go to, guess which church? The woman pastor. And so he's there, but he didn't like it. And he's, you know, there's just something he said is not quite right. I said, well, what's not quite right is it's, it's a non-biblical church. And he said, we never, we don't bring our Bibles. We never open the Bible. Well, I made the comment during the weekend. I said, uh, you need to go to a church where the Bible's taught. And if you're in a church the Bible's not taught, you need to bless that church with your absence. <laughs> so he's hearing that. So he comes to me and he's going, yeah, I agree with that. And I'm in this church, but it's where my wife wants to go. So what do I do? You get that? What do I do? How does he lead? And if I say, and I just told him, I said, listen, man, all I can tell you is Adam got in trouble first and foremost because he obeyed his wife and not God. And I think you need to pray about this. And I think you need to come to your wife and say, honey, I want to pray about this with you. If she resists and say, you know what? I cannot do this. I, I, I just need to follow Christ in my heart and do what I think God's calling me to do, and I cannot participate here. And I said, there's lots of couples that go to churches in different spots. My guess is, because she's a woman, she's going to want to be with you. 
It's not like you're abandoning not going to church and saying, I'm punting God. You're just leading. And so you need to give her something to follow. Because at this point, she's leading. You see, the reason why they're there is she's been leading. He just never led. So I said, just give it a shot. If nothing else, you'll have conflict. But that's what leaders create. Remember, when Jesus came into the world, not everybody liked him. So, the, the phrase you need to put on the passive end here, guys, in point B is add initiative. You need to add initiative. If this is you, and you're married to a more leader-type wife, and you're a more compliant husband, you'll see that there's not really overlapping circles. It's not as natural. And so this oneness has to be worked at and created. And so you're going to feel in this marriage not a natural oneness. You're going to feel a natural disconnectedness, a natural separateness. The real tendency for a marriage like this is to be married in two roommates. So here's what a wife, a natural leader wife, will feel if she's married to a more compliant, passive husband. She'll, she'll feel frustrated. And she'll tend to drag, uh, nag. The Bible calls uh, a nagging wife, uh, not a duck, but it does call her a dripping faucet. And she'll begin to want you, and you'll almost feel like she's a mother. And she'll be telling you what to do all the time. Ah, ah, he's telling you all the time. And so she's going to feel that she wants you to, and because she'll see things. She's a natural leader. She'll know the next thing to do. You go, how do we need to do that? You do that. You do that. Do that. And you're like, ah, I haven't even thought about that. And so, um, what she'll do when it's not happening, she'll take over. And she'll start doing it. And she'll embrace the responsibilities. And the next thing you know, you'll feel like a little boy being married to mama. Okay, honey, what, what, whatever you say, great. Yeah, okay, that's what we'll do. Here's what the husband's going to feel. The husband will feel whipped. He'll feel angry. He'll, he'll even become somewhat despondent in the marriage because he feels he's given up his dignity to this woman. Because now he's like, he feels like a little boy still. But here's the deal. He'll let her take over his responsibilities because he doesn't know what to do. And he doesn't know how to talk to her and lead. And so he will, but here's what has to happen, guys. He will have to, if there's going to be some connectedness, some oneness, he will have to clarify his responsibilities with his wife. I mean, like, sit down. Here's what I'm going to do. Here's what I'm responsible for. Let's lay this out. And he's going to have to let her do some things. She's a natural leader. But you need to clarify the responsibilities. So she'll have to have areas in the marriage that she needs to be responsible for and lead in just because she's going to do it anyway. Now, the question is, what is that? And I would say uh, maybe ministry options house options, finances. Sometimes what you find is men aren't very good with finances. Women are. I just know my wife doesn't want to deal with it at all. But some women do. Now, the, the thing you got to remember, guys, is you're still financially responsible and you still need to be making sure that the provisionary aspect and the management and the budgeting of money is done correctly. So one of the things you do is you have a like maybe a monthly meeting. She can be managing paying the bills and all that if she's good at accountant but then you have to have a meeting and you just have to do this honey we got to have our monthly meeting sitting down and looking at the finances to make sure we're not moving the debt we're doing the right thing we're ready for this and all that and see she'll feel all of a sudden wow he's in control he's responsible he's bearing the burden she might not she might not mind that sort of accounting but if all of a sudden she feels like I have to do this and I'm having to make these decisions, uh, it creates an insecurity. So here's the deal, guys. When these couples then to clarify their responsibilities, when they get together, now they can appreciate each other 
rather than compete with each other. So point C, leadership in marriage is submitting your design, whether you're a natural leader husband or a more compliant husband. It's submitting your design to your biblical responsibilities rather than how you feel. So the struggle often in marriage is not knowing what I should do, but doing what I know I need to do. I always tell women who are natural leader type women, here's what submission looks like for them. For a natural leader wife, submission looks like a refusal to take over your husband's responsibilities. That's what submission looks like. In other words, she may see very clearly what's not being done. Now she can communicate that, but she needs to say, honey, we're gonna sink or drown because the ball's in your court. Ah, it's going to be hard for her. But she submits to his God-given biblical role. And then she's got to sit back and let him do it. Because here's the deal. If she starts taking over, uh, compliant husbands will do what? Go ahead. In fact, I like it. Give me, the, give me the couch and the TV remote. Honey, you do it all. I just want to hang back because you're there for me. But here's the deal, guys. It may feel okay for a while. But remember, she'll start losing respect. And you will not want to love her because she's like a man. And she's feeling like she's a mother to a little boy. So, as we submit ourselves to biblical responsibilities. So here's the deal, guys. Let me just say this. Any man can lead regardless of his personality and temperament. Because the way we do this is we harness ourselves with the truth of God's word and our biblical role. Because scripture doesn't, the scripture never calls upon a man's natural leadership abilities, ever. It doesn't say, hey, for those of you who are really good lovers of women, go ahead and do it. it never says that. Husbands, all of us, love like Christ loves the church. All husbands, live with your wife, understanding she's a woman, and grant her honor. She doesn't give any preference to what kind of man you are. So what I find, as I look at that, is it doesn't call upon a man's natural leadership abilities, but upon his position as a husband and its corresponding responsibilities. In other words, if you're in a company and you have a particular job description, there's responsibilities born upon that job description. It doesn't matter whether you want to do it or not. They're, they're employing you and paying you a salary to accomplish those responsibilities with that position. And God does the same thing if you're a husband, period. And he'll compensate you correctly. And so, let me just give you guys four responsibilities. You ready? You need to write these down. No matter who you are, four responsibilities you can do that your wife will respect you for. Number one, provide financially. Number two, put God's truth in your life and be a devoted follower of Christ. Because remember, if Christ is the head of the husband... The husband's the head of the wife. Well, if a biblical response to a woman's role to the man is submission, well, if she does not see that man that she's called to submit to submitted to Christ, then it's freaking her out. You're asking me to do what? It just seems like he's so self-centered and it's about him and he's doing his own thing and I don't know where he's leading us because... I never see him listening to God at all. I will tell you this. The best thing you can do for your sexual life is read your stinking Bible. Because if your wife knows and sees you trusting and obeying the truth of God, she'll respect you. She will. And thirdly, if you're praying with her, to so pray with her. With her and the kids. Just, in other words, it's a reflection of what's in your heart. Again, Jesus said, what comes out of the mouth of man is what? A reflection of what's in the heart of the man. It's the old computer lingo. 
G-I-G-O, garbage in, garbage out. And so whatever you're putting in is what comes out. And so the whole prayer aspect, see, it's just an acknowledgement that she knows that there's something in you that you're yielded to because you're always talking to her about him. You're talking to him with her. So the way to pray with your wife, guys, is just simply, you don't have to be a theologian. Just grab your wife's hand along the way and just say, honey, listen, we do not know what to do today. God, would you please give us wisdom and direction? Amen. God, we, I, we've never raised our kids. We're not sure what to do, but would you please give us wisdom on how to make this decision and where they should go to school? There's the old phrase, those who pray together, what? Stay together. And then fourthly, guys, the fourth thing you can do is periodically get away with your wife and decide where we, quote, we are going. How are the kids? Where are the kids? What do we got to do this year, this summer? Carrie's great in the fact that she measures out how many months we got left with our kids. We got 18 months left. We got 12 months left. What do we got to do? In fact, when I was in my hotel room in Yosemite, I was just sitting there and I just went, I'm 52. Wow. It just goes so quick. And you hear it from older people. You ever hear this? It, life goes so fast. See, when you're really, really busy, 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 and you're not intentional, you know, again, it's that current. You get sucked under and all of a sudden, at some point, you will go, wow. So sometimes you just got to pop up on occasion with your wife and periodically get away and go, where are we going? What do we want to do? Destiny is not something that happens to you. It's something you achieve intentionally. Here's what's true about life. It's not how you start the race. It's how you finish it.